Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by TeachingBooks.net. I have been using Teaching Books ever since starting teaching about 16 years ago. They have been a website that I've come to know and trust as a curation tool for authors and their interviews and their resources for their books, and they are just incomparable in our field to teachers of readers. So teachingbooks.net strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at teachingbooks.net. Hi, so so how how are you? I'm so glad the road has connected us. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm fine. You know, this is such a weird time in general that I feel, you know, just kind of I'm overflowing with gratitude for how routine and monotonous (laughs) and, you know, kind of drama free my life happens to be. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 647. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner if you want to support the show. Today I'm joined by Victoria Bond, author of Zora and Me, The Summoner. This is the third and final book in the Zora and Me trilogy, co-authored by T.R. Simon and winner of the Coretta Scott King Award. Victoria shares about starting with children at their beginnings because, as she puts it, there's, quote, no better time to meet a reader than at the very beginning. The books in the Zora and Me series center on the imagined childhood of Harlem Renaissance luminary Zora Neale Hurston, author of Their Eyes Were Watching God. Each of the novels takes place in Eatonville, Florida, one of the first all-black incorporated towns in the nation. And in this story, Victoria asks herself how the town could get someone elected to a position that seems so unbelievable and, ultimately, leads to Zora leaving town. I was so grateful for this connection with Victoria. She feels like a kindred soul, and I very much hope our paths cross again. For now, we have this truly exceptional book series to keep us good company. 
Please welcome my guest, Victoria Bond, author of Zora and Me, The Summoner. Hi, my name is Victoria Bond. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am the co-author of the Zora and Me trilogy, a middle grade mystery series inspired by the childhood of American author and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston. I'm a parent, I'm a teacher, and I'm just someone who just really, 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 really loves books. <laughs> yay for all those things. And yay, fellow teacher. I don't get yes. to talk to a lot of fellow teachers, but I love when I do. What do you teach, Victoria? Before we get deep into the book series that you wrote and that I love and adore, what do you teach? <laughs> I teach incoming college freshman composition. So, you know, my job really is to help students learn how to pursue their interests, kind of helping students tap into what they're interested in, in an academic space, and then just helping them develop the language and the voice that allows them to express what they want to as well as they can. Wow, that sounds like a beautiful space to occupy with young people. Oh, it's it's great. I really, you know, a lot of my colleagues, you know, teach the upper level courses. And I'm just not I like your change of yeah, voice. Thank you yeah, for that. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm just not interested in that. You know, I like being one of the first people that students meet when they enter higher education, you know, because I feel like it's it's really my job to help them build community. And I really I I really just enjoy helping people get settled and feel safe and, you know, kind of wading through what they want to say and how they want to say it. So, yeah, I just love meeting people at the beginning of their college experience. Oh, Victoria, I love meeting people at the beginning. I work in an elementary school and I have for my whole career yeah. and I often get, I don't get the voice like that from, yeah. from colleagues. I get the other one that's like, oh, that's so cute. You work with the little ones. And I'm like, no, I, I literally work with the coolest people in the world because I have the privileged job of working with children as they identify as readers, as they right. learn to read, identify as readers, fall in love right. with reading, hopefully, or fall in like with reading, and maybe even find that book that feels like it resonates with their very being. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. I love that quote, that notion of starting at the beginnings of people. I like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, it's just an amazing, it's really, it's an honor. You know, my son is six and he's just now able to read alone. You know, he is still sounding out words, but he has enough books memorized that he can now kind of really sit down with his Mo Willems collection and, <laughs> and, you know, just really read the books himself. And that's just it's amazing to see. I think part of the reason I write for young readers is that as a kid, I just read so hard and I just fell so deeply in love with 
books that I want to try to insinuate myself (laughs) in, in those, on those bookshelves into a kid's journey in the way that I was impacted and moved. So I just, there's no better time to meet a reader than when they're a kid, when they're young. Oh, I can't not ask you this. Who were your first loves in books? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's not a long story, but there are kind of different pockets of my kid reader self. One of the funny things that happened when not sure even how old I was, but maybe like eight or nine ish. My grandmother worked at the East Orange Public Library here in New Jersey, where I live and where I'm from. And they pretty much like got rid of all of the poetry anthologies, if you can believe it. Wow. And because this was uh, almost pretty much majority black town and the library kind of catered to the black kids, especially around like black history month and all this kind of stuff. A lot of the poetry anthologies were African-American, like from the thirties and forties, really. So that was kind of my introduction to poetry was like reading these anthologies where kind of like County Cullen and Langston Hughes, um, James Weldon Johnson, were, you know, at the center of these works. So that was kind of one big piece of my kid reading journey was just learning to love poetry. You know, another piece was just really like getting like into like series. Like I remember, and actually I've been looking trying to find some of these books recently. I don't know, Bruce Coville, who's like written like- Oh yeah, Bruce Coville. Right, so like I loved like his ghost (laughs) stories, you know, like, yeah, and they were kind, you know, I don't think- I think we're the same age. (laughs) Yeah, they felt somehow like kind of grown up, you know, like meeting the ghost in the theater, the ghost in the museum shop, like these kinds of books, like I just adored them. Um, let's see. Then there was like another piece of my kid reader self that was like stuck in the the romance section of like the B. Dalton and the Walden books. And like I would just be drawn to these like kind of tawdry, kind of silly gothic romances, you know, like all these <laughs> books I loved had like girls in nightgowns running from houses. Um <laughs> Yeah. And then, of course, you know, just being a kid at the library, especially because my grandmother worked there, you know, like all the book trees, it was just like one side was just Stephen King and the other side was just V.C. Andrews. So then that was this other kind of, you know, gothic, you know, horror, mystery, suspense, kind of creepy, you know, these stories that I just loved and just like just just couldn't stop reading that's awesome (laughs) i we're we're like deep into this conversation which i love but i i want to tie it into really what brings us together which is zora and me this wonderful series award-winning series that you co-author with tr simon and the newest book the summoner could you give a book talk of the summoner for those that haven't encountered this book yet. And then I'm going to, 
I'm going to talk about zombies with you. Let me just say, oh boy. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it might make sense to just to give a quick overview of the series. Oh, so all three novels are inspired, again, by the childhood of Zora Neale Hurston, the American novelist and anthropologist. And Zora Neale Hurston is known for her novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God. She was also a kind of a Harlem Renaissance luminary. So Zora is just this fascinating, larger than life. Uh, like if she wasn't a real person, someone would have to make her up. Her life is just so amazing. And she is just so iconoclastic. She just breaks every barrier. She doesn't know a barrier when she sees one. I think this is why she drove through them in her car that she called sassy with a gun on <laughs> the passenger seat. But that was just the kind of woman that she was. So Zora grows up in this place called Eatonville, Florida, which is one of the first all black incorporated towns. And in our series, all of the books are set in this place, Eatonville, Florida, which was a prosperous, somewhat safe, and this is something the novels take on, black community. And, and in each of the novels, there's a kind of a murder mystery or just a mystery that is connected to kind of a horror mystery genre trope. So in the first novel, Zora and Me, it's really a monster story. It's like, who killed this traveling musician? Was it this gator monster or was it actually a person who committed this crime? And the second book, The Cursed Ground, it's a story about the history of Eatonville, you know, about what this place was like before it was this all-black incorporated town. And of course, it being in Florida, it was a place where slavery happened, where the genocide of Native Americans happened. And in that book, there a ghost is appointed to kind of clue Zora and her two best friends in about what the history of this place really is. And then in the last novel, The Summoner, my goodness, I really am playing with what happens, what would have to happen in this place to make the these good-natured kind of church-going, you know, like very hardworking citizens. What would have what would have to happen to make these people, if given a chance, to choose a bad leader, the wrong leader? And Zora Neale Hurston's father, John Hurston, in real life, actually became the mayor of Eatonville in the 1890s. And that was something that I always wondered, like, how did he become the mayor? He's a showboater, you know, like he isn't really a, a decent person, <laughs> really, <laughs> according to Zora's, you know, writing about him. So why did these people who I think were decent and hardworking, why did these people choose him to be their leader? And I thought to myself, you know, Zora can hardly live in her father's house. I know she really couldn't live in her father's town. So I thought, you know, Zora Neale Hurston leaves Eatonville, Florida. Her father becomes mayor. You know, maybe in these in this last book, I can link those up, right? And I can explain why Zora would leave her home. 
And of course, and it involves a grave robbery and a lynching and a zombie and an election and all that stuff. But I really was thinking, what would make Zora leave home? And, you know, as I said, she can hardly live in her father's house. I don't know how she could live in her father's town. It's the gift-giving season, and our friends at Libro.fm are helping to make sure you and the readers in your life enjoy the latest and best audiobooks out there. I am a huge audiobook fan. It is the primary way that I get through middle grade and YA nowadays, and I am always listening to a book. So this is why I want to make sure you are aware of Libro.fm, the audiobook service that also directly supports independent bookstores. And I've got a wonderful code for you so you can jumpstart your reading life this new year with some great audiobooks. Get two audiobook credits for the price of one when you enter promo code WINNER at checkout. That's my last name, W-I-N-N-E-R. Or purchase a 3, 6, or 12-month gift membership for yourself or your favorite reader before January 1st, 2021, and enjoy credits to use on any of Libro FM's 150,000 audiobooks, regardless of price, 30% off additional audiobooks, expert recommendations from booksellers, and more. When you buy a 12-month Libro.fm gift membership, Libro.fm will be passing half of what you spend along to the bookstore of choice, meaning bookstores get $90 for every 12-month gift membership. So really, there's no better choice for your reader in your life this holiday season. I love my Libro.fm. I've been a member for several years, and now I want to make sure you are aware and join up too. Treat yourself or your loved ones to a Libro.fm membership this year. Use the link in the show notes and happy listening. The series one, your series is awesome. Oh, thanks. so (laughs) wonderful. I, I don't know... This is one of those things, like, I got to be really careful because I'm a writer as well. And I don't ever want to be like, well, you're such a good writer because you clearly were such a good reader. And I'm like, okay, that's that's like <laughs> the teacher in me conditioning my phrasing. But you, it, the way the books read, and I would imagine that um, Tanya it m- must have a similar love of language because the way these books read just feel like a writer who who really cares not only about each line that's dropped on that page, but the way it sounds and feels coming out of your mouth as you read it. Does that make sense if I say it that way? Of course, yes. You have like good to chew on sentences. It just feels like this is good. Brought me back to like, I don't know. It brought me back to, well, okay, this is, it, it brought me back to like reading, I don't know, like Roll of Thunder. Yeah, like absolutely. that, where it just feels like this is a big book, and all of these sentences are here because they need to be here. Yeah, that absolutely. Kind of yeah, no, that's really kind of you to say. You know, I think one thing that kind of goes into kind of the linguistic heart of these books is that they are kind of in dialogue in some ways with Zora Neale Hurston's work itself. Oh. You know, so. 
you know, one of my favorite, one of my most favorite lines I've ever read in my life is, you know, I've been in Sorrow's kitchen and looked out all the pots. And for me, you know, in a really fundamental way, this series is kind of an ode to the heart and soul that would write those, write that line. You know, so I've always, you know, thinking of the language and the sentences and, you know, how to express Carrie, who is the narrator and how Carrie sees and thinks of Zora and sees and thinks of Florida. You know, I've just, I've been been careful to try to make uh, to make work that's in dialogue with the African-American experience, that's in dialogue with the real Zora Neale Hurston, and that also has uh, some poetic flair. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I've just, you know, I think I think often of what it means to put language in front of children. And that's, there's a lot of different books we can hand to children for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and I find that there are certain books that I do speak about in a certain way when I speak about them to children. I think about, um, like Padma Venkatraman has a wonderful book called The Bridge Home mm-hmm. that, that similarly just feels like, wow, there's such care given to characters that when I hand this to a child, I can say to them, like, watch how this author really envelops you and cares for you the way that she cares for her characters and the way that Aww. you likewise are are sharing well, I, the way that you're channeling Zora in that way. May I read to you, Victoria? You should see my copy of the book. My arc is like dog-eared all over okay. the place. You <laughs> really? would love it. You would love Aww. it. Okay. May I read to you? Is that okay? Yeah, that would be okay. great. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to read you a lot today, um, but I'll start with just this one spot, which is toward the beginning, so I won't give anything away. But um, th- we're, we're talking about Zora. Another character, Teddy, is is remarking about how smart Zora is. And the, the text continues. Teddy was right. Everyone did know that Zora was capable of tackling those things, but it was up to Zora alone to figure out how to make them happen. As we got older, the way to that path would only grow tougher. What constituted a person, being mean or sweet-spirited, vindictive or kind, jealous or generous, mattered little not, or mattled, I'm sorry, mattered little or not at all against the weight of facts out of our control. Life was decided by men being men, women being women, some folks being white, others being black, and too many souls finding themselves piss poor instead of well-fed for no good reason. You've got these wonderful, wonderful lines like that, Victoria, spread throughout. That are I'm telling you, they are just a delight. It's beautiful. It's beautiful writing. Thank you. You know, I, you know, sometimes I think, you know, am I beating the reader over the head, (laughs) you know, with this kind of, I, you know, I don't know what to call other than kind of my, my hand on my hip. Like I'm trying to be wise here. Are you listening? Do you get it? You know, so thank you for saying that because I think, you know, my editor, Mary Lee Donovan sometimes is like, let's pull back. You know, this is, can I you know, ask you, Victoria, yeah. can I ask you, do, does, do the phrases come out that way? You know, sometimes when we write 
we just sort of are listening to our muse and, 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 and writing it down. And other times things feel labored or are worked around. How, mm-hmm. how did, at least with this book, with The Summoner, how, how was writing this book for you? Oh boy. Well, you know, that passage particularly just came out that way. Yeah. It feels that way. Yeah. That just came out. I think I struggle around major plot points. (laughs) So if we're getting into a scene that is a major piece of the plot, I really struggle because I'm nervous You know, I'm, you know, it's kind of like I'm tiptoeing around it. I've been looking for it down the road. I know that it's coming and now I'm here. And I I sometimes really literally struggle kind of word by word. And I feel like there's some passages in the book where that might be more obvious <laughs> than I would feel comfortable pointing out myself. I have never heard someone be so <laughs> frank, and I love you for it. I, I, <laughs> I don't notice that, but you know, I also have the final copy, so it's been worked on and caressed, and right. and you know, you've let the ideas out, and you've you've worked on them, and you've listened to the voice of the story. I will say though that there must it must be the English major in me. It must be that love of like William Faulkner and things like that. That when we have those moments of just of just a character just saying, Here's my take on life. Mm-hmm. Only not even saying it as here's my take, just saying, here's how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I I really savor those moments. And then the plot moves along and then we get another one of those moments and I feel like I feel like that makes this story feel like it carries wisdom in the way that that being around certain people in our life can also have those wisdom moments where life is going on and then suddenly there's a moment where we're just you know in in wrapped in in what comes out of living a life right well, you know, that's why I read, you know, I'm reading for those, those insights when something is on the page that helps me understand my neighbor, helps me understand myself, puts, you know, something that happened four years ago into perfect perspective. And I think that's also really why I write, you know, I, as much as I, you know, my kind of put down my hand on my hip, you know, this is what I have to say that I kind of, I'm writing to those moments. And I think those moments are what keep me writing. Actually, (laughs) Matthew, how are you getting me to say this stuff? Isn't it beautiful that like your writing is an exercise in and of itself to understand yourself better, which would that not be? the connection you have with Zora and would that not then be how you hear that voice communicating through this book mm-hmm. that, that it's, it's you seeking knowledge and, and sharing it in a moment's time, not a, uh, a sweeping and here's the message children that you are to right. take from this book, but rather no, right now I need to just talk about how some things just are this way because. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I think about the frankness that you talked about not long after that, uh, my, uh, my very next dog year, which is why it's coming up in my brain, um, was when, um, how can I put this into context? Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, when you're talking about grave robbers, mm-hmm. um, the, the, there was a, there's a, um, a local neighbor who has these wonderful peaches. The kids are going over to get some of the peaches. They knock on the door. He doesn't come out. Um, that seems weird. Um, all of a sudden he, he does arrive in front of them holding a gun um, and they recognize that he's acting very out of character. All this is to say that, that, that uh, ultimately this man dies uh, and is the, the subject of the zombie stuff we were talking about earlier. But in talking about what happens with a body and why a body would suddenly not be in a coffin um, Teddy, the, the, the character we were talking about before, um, talks about resurrection men, which was a phrase I had not heard of before. Talks about resurrection men, grave robbers, but then also goes on to say about, you know, the, the, why grave robbers would take black bodies because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't use, is as doctors cut into our bodies, our black bodies, because they don't consider us people. He said, but then we come to define, then we come to define in their books and manuals what's human. These, mm-hmm. these moments, these thoughts of, uh, I don't, uh, of just weight, knowledge, right. so much. Well, Profound was, things you're telling readers, Victoria. Yeah, well, that was just a very um, unexpected kind of historical phenomenon that I had not known about until I just kind of started going kind of from article to article, book to book, and saying, hey, wait a second, you know, so much of the medical research that occurred in you know, in the 19th century in America was on black bodies. And finding this out really put into perspective for me, or I guess made me aware of yet another dimension of racism, post-mortem racism. You know, I, again, I don't, I hadn't known this. I don't know if your, you know, your listeners are aware of this at all, but because grave robberies were so rampant, laws were put into place that protected white corpses. So if white corpses can't be used for medical research, you know, if grave robbers feel the heat around, you know, stealing from white cemeteries, then where will they go? And they will go to black cemeteries. They will buy, you know, the bodies of dead slaves. You know, dead slaves will be transported in barrels of whiskey, you know, to medical schools. And all of this really, like, deeply grotesque, disturbing history about racism literally following black people beyond the grave, and I, I just thought this is something that young readers deserve to know. This is something that not enough people know, period.
The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by listeners like you. Learn how you can support the show and get exclusive podcast merch, including stickers, book totes, and more by visiting MatthewCWinner.com. I think that it is in approaching all of these things in the way you do, which is to say that it's not like, and now I'm going to wow you with this incredibly awful and grotesque true fact, but rather, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to drop that there and mm-hmm. let you pick it up. And and yeah. there's such strength for agency that you give a reader in mm-hmm. doing that. And this is of course not the first time you do that in this book. Um, but in in all of those moments of of doing that, you really, you really, to me, it offers something different in 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 a work of historical fiction. To to well, I, I, I can't I can't not think of before we were recording. We were talking about this uh, article in PW. This conversation mm-hmm. between you and T R Simon that I was saying was so fabulous, and you really were talking about about Zora Neale Hurston and about why just about this fascinating life of a Mm -hmm. woman who was not just ahead of her time, but one of you goes on to say that she really is timeless in that Mm -hmm. her ideas were thrown out, were canceled, and then were later found to be modern and postmodern. And just um, to, to take that, I, I now can't divorce the notion of what I read as, a profound amount of, of love and respect that you both have toward this woman mm-hmm. and how that is layered into this book and where the reader intersects with all of that. It's really, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm having a moment too, Victoria. <laughs> Just no. so I'm having a moment where I can't quite find my words, but that I, I, I think that that is what drew me to Zora in me in the first place mm-hmm. and to, to come back into that world for the summoner um, and, and to be reminded of, of how I think of readers when I read this mm-hmm. book is really something special. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you for saying that. I think because Zora Neale Hurston was an anthropologist and a folklorist and in some ways a linguist, that she collected all of these bits of African-American life and African-American folklore and wisdom and knowledge and history in the context of how Black people actually lived, right? So Zora Neale Hurston, who's traveling through the South with her pistol on the passenger seat, you know, is meeting people like at juke joints, in turpentine camps, on the side of the road as they're getting out of church. And she's doing her work as an anthropologist while people are just living their lives. So I think in The Summoner especially, you know, I really wanted those instances in the book, say, about the history of medical racism or even about the lynching that occurs or the election. I didn't want the book to focus so much on those things as much as I wanted the reader to understand that these would just 
these were just instances in life at this time for these people. So though they seem, you know, extraordinary, grotesque, horrific, you know, however you may think of the events, that the these are just the things that were happening <laughs> in this time for these people. So I, I really, I wanted to share some history with the readers, but I wanted to make sure that that history was being presented in a way that made sense for the people who would have actually lived it. Yeah. We, I'm watching our time and I'm wishing we had five more hours to talk and we would still fill it all up. But, <laughs> but I, um, I want to ask you about starting this whole book series in the first place, mm -hmm. how you met Tanya, what set you on this path to write this series. And also I find quite interesting and would love if you want to talk a little bit about it, how you both, both of your names are on the cover of the first book and mm -hmm. T.R. Simon is on the second book and your name is on the third. This is a, a, an amazing approach to collaboration to me. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know <laughs> how the dance has worked and all of this. So I know that that's, that's in itself probably another entire podcast, but could you, could you sure. talk me through about how, how this and the, the partnership and the book series came to be? Yeah. Well, Tanya and I met in 2001 and I was a recent graduate of college and I just got my first job in publishing and it, my little cubicle happened to be next door to Tanya's office. And we just started talking and we would go to lunch together. We would just poke our heads in all day. And uh, Tanya lived near the office. So then I started going home with Tanya. We started watching TV together. We started talking trash together. <laughs> and we just became, you know, very close friends. And Almost immediately, you know, we started having ideas about different stuff, right? So I remember one idea we had was, and this will sound crazy, but was for like a group of plus size models that like live together. This was like one idea that we talked about forever, right? <laughs> and I know it's just nutty. And we would, you know, just toss ideas back and forth. So Fast forward, one night, Tanya invites me over for lasagna, and I'm like, okay, it's rainy, and I go over for lasagna, and I'm feeling kind of sad, actually, because I had just finished my first novel, my first try at a novel, and it was really bad. It was so horrible, Matthew, and I just felt so- <laughs> It was a so... stepping stone, but I love yeah, that you're, I love that you're no, really digging in. I was just so <laughs> disappointed by how bad it was. <laughs> So I was feeling kind of bad and Tanya read it and, you know, she said, yeah, Vicky, this is kind of bad, <laughs> but you're really good at writing kids. Like oh. you have these young characters and like, this is the point in your book that actually makes sense when these kids are center stage. And I was like, huh? And she was like, and you know, and I have an idea. <laughs> and I was like, what's your idea? And she was like, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, girl detective. And I was like, Zora Neale Hurston, girl detective, really? And that night we just started going back and forth with a plot, right? So Tanya had this idea. She hadn't, she didn't have a plot attached to it. And that night we kind of, we hashed out a story 
And I said, well, Tanya, I think I'm going to try to start writing it. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I'll try to figure out like what perspective the story should come from. Should it come from Zora's friend, you know, an enemy, Zora herself? You know, I'll just, you know, just try to hash it out. And I did. And I just kept writing until the book was done, if you can believe it. I didn't even show it to her. Was it and always then when Carrie I was... talking? Was was yeah. Carrie always your narrator to begin with? Yes, it always. stayed like that. How about that? Zora yeah. was always just the friend. So we're, we're seeing things again, almost like from your perspective. What if I was friends with this woman that I what if I was childhood friends with this woman that I respect the way I do yeah yeah and that was actually a big kind of emotional piece of it is that the real Zora Neale Hurston you know didn't really have any ride or die friends right she was this independent person who burned bridges and she didn't have a a loving embrace to come home to. And I don't mean that romantically. I mean that like intellectually. I mean that spiritually. And in the series, like we try to give her that. We try to give her that always embrace that you get when you have a best friend. Nice. And you wrote the whole, so you wrote first first approach of book one. Yeah, I just wrote a draft and then I gave it to Tanya and Tanya was like, wow, Vicky, this is kind of works. And then Tanya was like, I'm going to write some new characters. I'm going to switch things around. I'm going to write new scenes. I'm going to mix it up. And then she gave it back to me. And I was like, oh, wow, Tanya, like you're so amazing. So then we just went back and forth like that for a while and we got a book. Yeah. Organic. That's beautiful. Yeah, but you know now we it would be completely different. We both would be on Google Docs now because it was so long ago. You know, it was a kind of a different scene. So then the second book comes around, and Tanya is totally in love with Old Lady Bronson. Mm. I like Old Lady Bronson too, but I really have my heart set on killing Zora's mother. I'm really into this. You know, I'm into this end of Eatonville. I'm into the death scene. I'm really into the loss of parent, kind of like a just a, a kid that grew up on Disney. You know, I'm just like obsessed with the orphan. You know, I want to get to the orphan. I want to get to the orphan. So what we decided was that we just we weren't interested in writing the same story for book two. You know, so after we went back and forth, it was like this isn't really going to work because our details, the stuff that we want to talk about are kind of for two different stories. Yeah. Right. So Tanya said, well, look, I don't want to kill Lucy Hurston. Like that's what you're into. (laughs) (laughs) Do that. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just like, I don't want to kill Zora's mother. Yeah. That's fine. If you want to do that, Vicky, but I want to write this story about the history of Eatonville. And I was like, yeah, I'm more interested in the, community of Eatonville rather than its history, you know? So, so that kind of, that was it. So we just decided we would write different books because our interests for the story were different. And so were you writing different books? Like at at, at some point I would imagine you had to have been writing different books at the same time. Well, this is when we would discover like these details don't really match, you know, found myself and both of us kind of can remark upon this now when we would trade the draft 
you know, like I would take out like beautiful, like wonderful passages of Tanya's and she would kind of take out passages of mine that worked. And we would ask ourselves like, why are you taking out this passage that like works really well? Yeah. And it's, and it was because it didn't work for the story that we each had in mind, right? <laughs> they were parts of books that we didn't want to write together. So that's what it's like, oh, like you're really just into this other thing and I'm really just into this other thing. So let's just kind of divvy it up. That's cool. That's that's a really cool collaboration. I like that. Ah, And I'm always going to remember the meal that you had with Tanya when this all started because it rhymes with her name. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> but uh, how cool. How cool. Well, congratulations on... Um, on wrapping up this trilogy. And I, I do sincerely look forward to reading not only what you're working on next, but but um, the the hope or possibility that, that you and Tanya might collaborate on something again in the future. It sounds like you really have a special bond. And I'm glad that if uh, nothing else, um, that special bond gave us these three beautiful books. Uh, well, thank you. I'm, you know, it was, it was literally a labor of love. These books come out of friendship. So I, you know, I just, I hope that's what they do for readers, you know, that they just further support friendships yeah. <laughs> in, in kids' lives. Build that bond together. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hope that too. Well, Victoria, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Oh, I really appreciate that. I want to give you a chance actually to speak right to those readers. So let's wrap up this way. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Oh, boy. You know, we have a lot of big feelings and the best way I know how to deal with my feelings is deciding, you know, how I will hold them. You know, will I cry? Will I sit down and read? Will I text a friend? And I think if, you know, we can be conscious of how we choose to hold and share our feelings, then I think that we can really let people know that we support them. And we can also let people know when we need to be supported. But I think my, my takeaway or my give to kids that you may meet tomorrow is decide how you want to hold your feelings and then feel like you can share that with someone else. Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. Want to help out the show? Become a patron at patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and your support and contributions will directly support and impact my work here. And always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed.
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.